It takes two. Amy Eiler, JJ Gordon on the Mighty 790 and 104.7 FM KFGO. The mechanics are in. The pros from Johnson's. Oh, boy. Okay, Chris, let me ask you right off the bat here. What are people coming in and asking for these days? Oh, nowadays, yeah. Looking more on like the maintenance side of things, like intermittent no starts. You know, we got the cold weather, the heating issues, and stuff like that. So, um, inspecting for coolant leaks, um, doing battery tests, making sure connections and everything are good and tight. And then, obviously, too, we're still in the winter season, right? So, um, I think it's dark more than it's light out. So, we're doing good light checks, make sure headlights are working, stuff like that. I got a question right off the bat. I don't think, okay, I got a new vehicle. And I don't think the heated steering wheel is working. I don't know. I've never had a heated steering wheel. So I was like, it's not a big deal. Who cares? Let's just leave it and not, it doesn't work. And JJ's like, no, it'll change your life. Yeah, once and you, I don't once know you get it, you can never I've, go back. I've never had one. So will You're number one, now. will it change my life? I don't know. But number two, uh, what kind of a fix is that? Really complicated, expensive? Give me the bad or good news. Well, the first off, once you get it working again, you're not going to want to live without it. <laughs> I know. Everybody I know. I'm does, scared. Everybody that has it <laughs> says that they love it. Um, two, it might not be that bad. Um, we do a, um, a couple checks to make sure, obviously, you're getting power to it. And um, there's usually probably a couple connectors along the way. If that's all checking out good, sometimes the actual... The heating element in that steering wheel opens up and, you know, then something like that, you'd be looking at a possible steering wheel replacement. But what? once you get it working, you're not going to want to live without it. Steering wheel replacement? This is getting dramatic. Yeah. The, well, the heating element's actually built into that and wrapped in oh, like the padding man. and the leather that's stitched around it. So, you know, we're not really sewing and stitching in new elements a lot. So you, right. then you end up getting a new steering wheel. But uh, once it starts working, yeah, you won't want to live without it. What? What's a new steering wheel cost? It can oh, vary. This is the bad side. Yeah, of this is you know I would say, and this is just off the top of my head, but you're probably looking anywhere from 250 to 700 just for the steering wheel, and that's kind of a wide range. But every manufacturer's, they have different pride levels for their parts, so we'll put we'll leave it at that. But man, okay. how often do you find yourself swapping out a steering, a steering wheel? wheel. <laughs> Surprisingly, not too often. How about you, Dennis? Yeah, I mean, not 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 very often at all. No. It's but that's a, that's the worst case scenario. It could be something else, right? Right. You, that's I mean, steering wheel replacement. That was worst case scenario. That'd be worst case scenario. I mean, okay. otherwise, chances you might have a little testing time into the biggest thing. We'd pull, you know, if you bring it to your trusted shop, they'd pull up a schematic and and then look along the lines, you know, and make sure you have your power and your in your ground circuit, you know, from your distribution power distribution box up to your steering wheel, um, you know, and if all that's working, you know, you can kind of basically do what they call a continuity test to make sure there's not like an open circuit in your steering wheel and if there isn't you know then we know the steering wheel is good you know then kind of go from there and if there is well then we know that there's an open in the heating element not completing the circuit and then you need a steering wheel so okay amy just doesn't even have her heated steering wheel turned on someone said and that could <laughs> I be mean, it too, that could you? be it that could be it what, like i i can don't I ask know. you one question what year is it is it like a brand new one or is it like no, new to you uh new to me new what? to me 2017 Okay, so there probably is an issue with that. There's one thing I was going to, you know, if you had a newer GM or newer vehicles, some of them, they're equipped with it, but due to, like, the part shortage at one time, you know, they might oh. leave that module out for a while. So everything's there for it, but it needs to be retrofitted when the parts can become available. So. <laughs> Someone said, oh, Amy, get it fixed and throw away your gloves. I haven't purchased gloves since 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're going to like it. I'm, I'm scared to even get it fixed because then I'm going to be like these guys I work with who are like, I could never live without it. And I was like, we lived without it. For a long time. I think we're doing just fine. But yeah, but yeah. you know what? We also Everybody... used to use outhouses. And I don't see you going back to those at all anytime soon. Okay, okay, okay. Someone says, um, when a pre 
when a pre-owned vehicle is certified, what does that mean? I would say it probably, you know, goes through your trusted mechanic and does a complete vehicle inspection on it, um, tests to see if it's roadworthy. Like when it's certified, it means it's certified by the dealership that's selling it, so their mechanics went through it. Is that what that means? Sometimes that's what that means as well. And then depending what dealership, they'll, like, provide an extended warranty if it meets certain criteria. And obviously that'll probably be figured into the price, and you're probably going to pay a little more. But if they certify them, usually they're only a year or two old, I think, from my experience, maybe like a lease turn in and they inspect them at the dealer and kind of extend the warranty for a certain period of time. Don't you think so, Dennis? Yeah, I, I believe that's what it is. Yeah. Um, People this, ever call you about your extended warranty on your vehicles? <laughs> no. The robocalls? Yeah. Don't take those phone calls. Um, when This is an interesting question, you guys. It says, which vehicles are the easiest and most economical to work on? What vehicles are the easiest and most economical to work on? That's an interesting question. Well, now the easiest, um, every technician you talk to is going to think one's easier than the other. As far as reliability, you know, some cars like the Toyota Camry and stuff like that, you know, as far in Honda Accords, like if you do their maintenance, I don't really see a lot of huge major repairs outside of, you know, wear and tear items, kind of like brakes and, you know, suspension components and stuff like that occasionally. I mean... How about you, Dennis? What are you thinking on that? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about the same thing. Um, you know. Easiest to work on? I, What's your easiest to work on? I know that might be, like you said, that's a really subjective question to the first thing. It's probably whatever vehicle that mechanic has worked on the most, I would assume, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Say if you're a GM mechanic, you know. GMs are GMs be are easy to work on because yeah. you've worked on before. You're used you know, to them, so. but yeah. even vehicles that you've worked on forever too up here, if it's not washed or maintained properly, you know, your one rusty fastener bolt away from it not being your favorite car yeah. easy to fix anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Exactly. Let me ask about yeah. the air because at one point we switched over to where you've you've got more computer data than ever before in Absolutely. vehicles today, right? But you're also dealing with computer issues now more than ever, right? Was there a sweet spot before we relied so much on having, you know, these computers and screens and everything in our car versus, uh, you know, like going back to like a VW bug someone bought for Y2K because it didn't have a computer component in it? Like, are we just much better today or did we maybe hit the peak a little bit? I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't know. The problem what we're seeing with the older ones, though, with the computer stuff, though, I think, and Dennis, you probably can agree on that, is the fact that if they get some age on there and, like, certain certain seals, right, and, the, and just kind of the exterior, the interior kind of degrade on there, you, you, leave, you leave chances for moisture, water intrusion, element intrusion to get in there. And that's mostly what we see with that, you know, if it's just not maintained. Um, you know, most people don't realize your automobile is the most sophisticated and advanced technological piece of equipment you're going to own um i mean what do you think on that dennis i mean it's good and bad yeah you know i worked on a lot of the older stuff in my day and and seen a lot of computers but i think they've come a long ways um now with your new data links and everything i i believe they're a lot easier to work on now than they used to be um you know say an old 80 chevy truck that they threw a computer in um trying to figure out problems with that thing was like they didn't have the technology they do now yeah it's i think it's come a long ways i think it makes it easier for us to diagnose with a good scan tool you know i'm even amazed in vehicles today that 
I see a USB port in it, and I go, oh, right. I know that this vehicle's at least three years old because they're now putting USB-C ports into it <laughs> instead, yep. and so you can see that. This is a 2022 Chevy Silverado, 10,000 miles, just went in for an oil change at my dealer, and they tried to pressure me in getting a higher-tier oil change with all these additives. Uh, saying it'll give me more power, better mileage. Is all of that extra stuff necessary? It's pretty much a brand new vehicle. What a lot of them I know are trying to do lately uh, with their additive package is they want to start you, and every dealership's different. So, I mean, don't take this as, you know, gospel. But when you start with these additive packages earlier, when your factory warranty expires, as long as you still own the vehicle, they're going to be extending the warranty as long as you basically jump through their hoops and put this additive in there. So if you plan on keeping the vehicle for a while, it is a great added protection. Um, two, I do not like going 10,000 miles even on a new vehicle with synthetic oil. I would only recommend five to 6,000. So it, it is still completely up to you as a consumer, but if you plan on keeping it, you know, some people buy their brand new pickup and like, I've never had a brand new pickup. I want to buy one and keep one. Then I would recommend looking into that additives and keeping very accurate service records because in the long run, I think that's going to help you out as far as less cost out of your pocket, you know, an extra 20 or 30 bucks on an oil change. And if something unforeseen happens, but your normal warranty were to run out, but whatever additive package you have you on is going to extend that warranty, it's definitely going to be beneficial for your pocketbook on that side of it. Let me talk service records with you just for a second here. So the I just had my oil change recently, and the dealership handed me the paperwork, and I went home, and I threw it in the garbage immediately because I just don't need that cluttering up my desk. <laughs> but then I realized, like, other than the dealership, I'm the only person who has any idea of how long this has been in. Now, that computer in the car will track some of that stuff, right? Like, it'll say the last time it was reset. Is that right? The newer ones, how about yeah. your new, new new pickup there, Dennis? Sometimes the OnStar records will let you know like what oh, trouble really? code set. But they're not necessarily going to tell you if you went in and got it fixed. Um, everything is so much internet-based now. Yeah, I think I think once it's reset, it's gone. It's gone? You know. So what so, should I be doing? Should I keep a folder in the back of my car? Should I be scanning this stuff and saving it? I mean, what's beneficial to me? It's a good idea to keep your records because, you know, say if, you know, you got a three-year, thirty-six thousand-mile warranty, and and your engine goes out, and you know, thirty-six five hundred, and they're going to say, "Well, it's kind of hard for us to cover that under warranty." You got records, and you can show them all your oil changes, and you're mm-hmm. really loyal to that. They might go the extra mile and just help you out. Gosh, I I would hope so. <laughs> you know, <laughs> five hundred miles doesn't seem like a lot to be over the warranty, but so, the, you know, they stick to it sometimes too, and you know. You know, just tell them I took really good care of this, and this is how it is. You know? Okay, let's get back to the text club here and uh, take a gander at some of these. Um, okay, so someone says, uh, "What is expect? What is the expected miles from today's newer cars?" I think we have touched on this before. Of like, you could you can see some pretty high mileage on vehicles being produced nowadays, as long as you take good care of it. Right. It all does come down to maintenance. Um, there's you know, people that think sometimes that all you have to do is put gas in there. And, you know, unfortunately, that's not it. You know, there's no uh, there's no maintenance schedule to predict leaks and, um, you know, fluid conditions due to our severe climates. I mean, wouldn't you agree on that, Dennis? Yeah. I, you know, the, I have one of my customers that came in. He's got a, like an 03 Silverado with a Duramax diesel. And he wanted to quit working on it at 500,000 miles. So he said, well, you know, it's still going. Why don't we just keep going? 
and now he's got like six hundred thousand. You know, six hundred thousand, six hundred thousand miles. Yeah, correct. On this truck, <laughs> and, and it's still going. Yeah, he was gonna park it out in his pasture and just use it as an ornament. Yeah, and it's like it won't stop, so he keeps on putting money into <laughs> I mean, it. I remember the the days where you'd look in in the back of like Auto Trader, and if something had eighty thousand miles, you're like, oh, she's out to pasture already. No point in buying that unless I need to, you know, have a homecoming vehicle or something. Yeah, six hundred thousand miles. It's unreal. Let me know when he hits seven hundred. Wow. Right. I, yeah. I, in all honesty, I think the dealership should probably send him like a cake. <laughs> yeah. You know? Exactly. And, yeah. And it's in. You said in 03? Yeah, it was an 03. So yeah. we're not even talking about a, a vehicle that's, you know, 40 years old. We're yeah. talking about something that is considered part of the modern world, right? Exactly, Correct. yeah. Wow. And some of the other ones, too, I don't know, um, you know. I mean, 150 we, to 250,000 is not uncommon anymore, yeah, you know. Yeah. And it comes down to maintenance, you know. It's like a couple $300 to, you know, change certain fluids and, you know, that that definitely is a lot better than spending five, six, seven thousand dollars or getting rid of it, you know, when something major breaks down. So, so let yeah. me ask you a question about that. So, give me some ideas. If someone buys a new car off the lot, right, and so they say, okay, well, listen, you've hit thirty thousand miles. You need to do a transmission fluid exchange. I mean, you can find. Should you be going just on what the uh, the book says in your car, or should you be trusting a dealership? I mean, you Google a question like that, and you can get nine different answers. Right, fluid condition, um, kind of like a visual, and you know, you can your trusted mechanic should be able to tell if it's burnt or not. Like, and then depending what you use your vehicle for, if you do a lot of towing, um, in town stop and go driving. Um, yeah, that's harder on your fluid too. So a lot of owner's manuals are going to say like a recommended interval or they're going to say, oh, it's sealed for life. But then there'll be a little like asterisk by it under severe climates. And we live in a severe climate. Um, then there's definitely, um, you know, an inter- interval change. You know, if your pickup gets used a lot, I would say every 50,000 miles, um, you know, would be a good kind of, I would say interval change for like a transmission fluid and filter. Um, and it just depends what you use it for again. I mean, uh, it's a lot cheaper to change your fluid here, you know, every couple few years than it is to, you know, unfortunately put a whole new brand new transmission right. or engine Bingo. in, you know. Yeah. Chris and Dennis taking your questions. Okay, back to our text club. We have a, I don't even know where we're at. We, we got to get we this got one. through. Can you get more heat out of a car if the vent is set to cabin circulation, which is a very winter question to ask. So... Rather than like pulling air from outside versus recirculating, like can you get a hotter temperature? It'll keep it, it'll recoup it probably quicker. It's the same thing as like your air conditioning in the summer. When it closes off the outside air, you're basically recirculate, recirculating that interior air. So yeah, once it's warmer, it'll it'll kind of stay warmer quicker. Um, I don't know if you'll get hotter per se. If you're noticing, you know, um, like your heater performance drop out a little bit, you know, it might be something you want to get looked at. But um, I think it'll definitely achieve that temperature quicker. Um, what do you think, Dennis? Yeah, it's nice to have that fresh air coming in, too, because you're, you know, breathing all that cabin air, mm-hmm. you know. But Unless you could try like it both ways. skunk, and then yeah. in case you've swapped it over yeah, already. Yeah, there you go. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could try it both ways just to see how it is, too, you know. If you, sometimes you got a little thermometer. You can just stick it in the vents and just watch the temperature, you know. I have seen people pick those up like at car parts stores and Amazon, like getting that little tiny like temperature gauge just to see what you're getting. Yep. And 
it's a good it's a good thing to kind of say like yeah I, I i know people with older ovens in their kitchens who do the same thing who say like okay listen the knob says 400 but i'm really only getting like 325 right so getting those out um do trucks that have had a snow plow attached generally have more front end issues well you know that's a lot of weight up front you know and they're they're wearing on ball joints and all the front end suspension and it, it definitely takes a toll on them. Um, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I definitely, especially if you see like a half-ton truck, um, I always get a little leery when somebody, because you don't know how big of a plow they had hanging on up front. You know, if you got a three-quarter ton or one ton, some of those are more made for having a heavier load on there. But, yeah, without a doubt, anytime you see something like that on there, you, you know they got used a little harder. Um, it's always a good idea to have your suspension check, brakes check, you know, wheel bearing, stuff like that. Make sure there's no excessive play in there. Yeah, and then transmission issues, too. Yeah. You know, it's really hard on the transmission and differentials. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Especially the transmission back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. You're not really giving, you get the big plow on the front, you're not really giving the air a chance to move across that uh, tranny cooler and radiator to kind of help cool the fluid more. So, This is for a 2016 Toyota Tacoma. Front brakes and rotors have been replaced twice. Needs work again. Only 53,500 miles. Serviced every 5,000 miles. I would probably take a look at the rear brakes to see if they're working right. Um, you shouldn't be putting too much of a load on the front that would be wearing them out that quick. So um, if they're drum brakes, they probably need to be adjusted up. That was a 16? Yep. So it might be disc uh, might yet. be disc, and it just doesn't seem like the rears are doing their job. Yeah. I would have Putting all the check. load then on the front. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah. That or depending on the brake pads that were put in there, there's also different... Uh, quality per se material um somewhere out quicker than others too and then it's important too i always like recommend some people still um kind of two foot drive so they always have like a foot kind of lightly applied on their brake pedal you kind of want to stay away from that too that'll prematurely wear things out oh really okay yeah or if the tires are too big it takes a lot more to stop a big tire than it does a little tire the oversized tires will Eat up brakes like you wouldn't believe. And that seemed to be a big trend for a while, too, people right. wanting those oversized tires. Mm-hmm. Something like that I'd get a second opinion at if you're, you know, if you've take, taken it somewhere for a while, you know, look up another shop and just get a second opinion on there. Um, have things looked over really well, kind of explain what's been going on, um, mileage intervals that the brakes have been done so you can get more of kind of a thorough, accurate inspection on that. So, Did we get to this um, pulling a trailer better question? No. Can the mechanics set a pickup for pulling a trailer better? It seems like when a trailer is hitched, even empty, it is different. I mean, in the computer settings, could they be set up differently? Hmm. Not really in the computer. I don't, what do you think, Dennis? I mean, there's a trailer brake module, but that's just kind of to help apply or not apply, basically, um, the trailer brakes, depending on the load you have. Yeah. Um, you know, when you set your tow haul button, it's... Sh- it shifts different. I know it sets the transmission up for different shifting, if that's what they're asking. Or okay. Well, if you need more clarification, text back 35270. Let us know if we answered that question properly. Someone said, what is the deal with actuators that change heat and cold? Have a new Silverado, 6,000 miles, and it went out. Yeah, there's a what they call mode and temperature door actuators. Everything on that HVAC housing behind your dash is electronically controlled. So there's essentially a little motor, and um, it it basically it pulses current to them one way or the other, and then it moves a door. So there's no more 
like actual mechanical or cable linkage to them anymore. There's basically like a little motor with a detent that comes out. Um, and yeah, sometimes those motors, the gears in them either strip out or they can just electrically become open. So when it's receiving a command, it's not doing anything. So kind of a common issue on some of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, what about this? This is <laughs> this is an interesting one. Uh, we're talking about water pooling up. It's a Nissan Rogue uh, on the driver's side floor, water pooled up. I took a shop vac, sucked it up. An hour later, I hadn't moved the car, no rain. It's parked, but the puddle of water returned, parked in a, a garage. What should I be worried about? Oh, boy. Well, that almost sounds like I, it has a sunroof, huh? Does yeah. the sunroof drains plugged on that? That or if it's been parked in the garage for a while, you know, there's little channels if that vehicle has a sunroof. And if those, if it's ever been parked outside and has like tree debris and stuff, it'll plug up basically the sunroof drains and then has to go somewhere, right? Sort of run down your pillars and kind of pool up at the bottom there. Yeah. Either that or their AC units plugged. Yeah. And yep. That'd be another is good this, one. In the, like the summertime, the AC unit has to drain like all that water that comes out underneath mm-hmm. your car. And if that drain is plugged, it'll fill the dash up with water, like gallons of water. Really? Yeah, and it'll just start pooling out and fill up your floorboards. It's unreal. Oh, boy. When we cleaned them vents out, we could get, like, grounded because it's like yeah. three gallons of water <laughs> to come out of there. Is <laughs> that what the, the, the new guy goes underneath there? Like, just poke that yeah. uh, tube a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've had that happen to me a couple times. You get a mouthful of that just yeah. kind of musty water. It's yeah. it's a treat. We call that, initi- <laughs> we call that initiation <laughs> to the shop. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> Back to your questions here. The mechanics are in on KFGO. Chris and Dennis from Johnson's Auto Repair. Taking your questions, someone says, my son has a 2000 Chevy Malibu in the past two years. We've had to replace the brake calipers and pads twice because the calipers kept seizing up. He thinks it's happening again. Any reason why? That's well, that, that's an older one, so right. I might as well take that. You could take that one, Dennis. Yeah. I got faith in you. <laughs> is, that, yeah. is that your job to take the older one? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. well, this one's 23 years old, 24 yeah. almost. How do you, okay. Yeah, I'm highly educated in them. Okay. Um, over the years, I've seen anti-lock brake pumps um, just apply pressure to the brakes and just do it all by themselves and just wear brakes premature. So it's either that or, you know, you could even have a brake hose that's collapsed inside, letting pressure to the uh, caliper and then not releasing it. Um, something's holding the brakes on longer than it should. So that's probably something he's going to want to take a look at. Yeah, something bigger. Rather than just replacing these again for a right. third time, right. get to the bigger issue, I guess. Um, if you have a question, you can text into 35270. Uh, did we get all of these? Someone someone uh, suggests that the seat warmer is the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Over the... I would agree. They they, they work in tandem so well. But if if you had to pick one, you could only have a steering wheel heater or a seat heater, which one would you pick? Steering wheel. Really? Yeah. Chris? You know, I I don't have a steering wheel heater in my truck, but I've driven them with it. And I think I would actually, I'd rather have a warm steering wheel, I think, because you got your your jacket and everything on. Right. I'm already layered up. Dennis, how about you? Yeah, I think the steering wheel, because, you know, there's so many times my window was froze and I'm scraping it and I get out and 
get in my vehicle and my hands are just nice and warm. Yeah, they're so it's super toasty. Better. <laughs> hey, okay, fine, you guys. Hand. I'll bring my vehicle in. Oh my god. You'll be glad you did, Amy. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um. Let's see. Did we get to these? This additive one, the 2022 yeah. Chevy Silver. Okay, yep. we got to uh, that one. In fact, we're over here. We're to this. Uh, it's a 2010 GMC Acadia. There's a loud vacuum leak hissing coming from the valve cover vent tube, and it runs rough. Oh, that, boy. That sounds like the if you recently had, like, an oil change or a service done, um, there could be, like, a, a duct or a PCV duct that kind of basically just slides onto the valve cover and hooks onto that air intake tube between the air cleaner housing and the throttle body. That could have fallen off. Um, there's also one that runs to the upper plenum that goes to the rear valve cover and that you know over time with miles you know some of that plastic gets kind of degraded on there so that could have been knocked off too so um chances are it's something simple like that um just kind of do a good visual inspection with the engine cover off and, and you should be able to locate your problem is there a permanent fix for late model gm trucks or suvs gas tank vent lines plugging on gravel roads <laughs> uh yeah there actually is there's a there's like an updated bulletin where you reroute the vent up to like the brake booster area and um, it allows so you don't get all that dirt sucked into your canister and your vent valve, yeah. Another good spot they like to reroute them to is like maybe the top of your transmission too. Um, you know, sometimes if you have some of them vents underneath the hood of your vehicles, they don't like to, you know, advertise that being you have, you know, um, ignition components and stuff like that. But basically the highest part of your vehicle you can get where it's kind of, you know, secured and you're not going to allow dust and debris to get up there. So. Yeah. so we were just talking off air about, you know, parking under a cottonwood tree and, you know, trees or this, the sap that comes down from trees and things like that. Um, you had mentioned uh, underneath your windshield wipers is kind of how it, the air intake right there. Right. In the cowl there. Yep. Yep. We're also at an era where, you know snow and ice accumulates on top of that should i be using the back end of my ice scraper to chip that open or am i gonna potentially do worse well you really should try to keep that clean you know um don't break it so you break you know the screens and stuff in there but you should keep that clean because that's your intake keep a good pair of gloves and kind of maybe use your hand to move it out of there before Mm -hmm. you because if you let your vehicle run too much and you get water to drip down there it's going to kind of turn into a a sheet of ice, you know, it's going to refreeze. So try to clean it off, I guess, before you drive it. I see so many people who take off and don't bother to scrape anything off the hood of their <laughs> oh, yeah. car or anything like that. And I I always think, well, you know, a glacier's not a great thing to be moving across, like, the front of that car. <laughs> but, um, I've like, should do I need to, like, get the whole thing cleared off? Or if I get half of it, am I good to, you know... You know, well, as far as your windshield and cowl, usually, yeah. yeah, normally the air intake side of it will be more on, like, the passenger side of the vehicle. Um, but it's always a good idea, you know, for safety reasons to have all your, you know, your windshield and basically anywhere in your line of sight cleared off. So, you know, the professional recommendation is, you know, take the time and actually have it all cleared off. But, you know, focus kind of, you know, on that passenger side of the cowl to make sure that's kind of cleared off. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this texter says, I have a 2012 Jeep Liberty Latitude. Oil pan is all rusty and leaking oil. Broke off a lot of rust on the pan, and the oil is seeping out on garage floor. Just bought the car 10 days ago, and there is a 3,000-mile, mi- 3, three-month warranty for the engine and transmission. 
Do you think this will be covered under the warranty? And should I replace it with a factory oil pan or a non-factory oil pan? 41,000 miles. Well, I would probably recommend doing a factory oil pan. They they seem to fit a lot better. Um, aftermarket parts, especially a tin pan like that, can get distorted and not fit correctly. But um, I sometimes the warranty company gets a little touchy on like conditions like salt and stuff has eaten up that pan mm-hmm. and they might not cover it. They, they might say that's a wear and tear, but it's the best thing to do is just try it and see if they'll go for it. I mean, at least go back and have that conversation say I bought this 10 right. days ago and, or yeah. maybe the actual place will cover it for them for purchasing the vehicle. You know, it sounds like it might be one of those kind of scenarios too. So there you go. All right. Uh, shout out to Walhalla, North Dakota, by the way, who called up and talked to Dennis. Uh, thanks for listening all the way up there. If people want to get a hold of Johnson's, if they've got a question, if they want to bring a vehicle in, how can they find you guys? Well, we're 11 blocks north of Menards at 2627 16th Avenue South in Moorhead, and you can always call us at 218-512-0506. Chris, Dennis, always a pleasure, gents. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it.